The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. All right, it's a combo sports fix Thursday with Tommy, and then Cooley will jump on and do his defensive film breakdown from the Pittsburgh game. I'm going to start with this question to Tommy. Um, Who gets the most credit for the position they're in right now in the organization, the football team I'm speaking of, of course? Ron Rivera. More more than Alex Smith? Yes. More than Kyle Smith? Yes, because we don't know how much – We don't know if Kyle Smith comes to Ron Rivera and says, I want to do this, and Ron Rivera says, okay. Or if Ron Rivera goes to Kyle Smith and says, I want these guys, go get them. We don't really know how the personnel flow chart operates with that organization. We've never really known, although everyone just figured, like, you know, Bruce Allen was, and and it was nobody else. Uh, So... Uh, you know, we were told this was a coach-centric organization, football organization now at the start of Rivera's tenure, and I'm going to continue to believe that unless we have proof otherwise. And, uh, you know, there's a school of thought that Ron Rivera thought Alex Smith would be a starting quarterback at some point this season all along. I don't even think it matters if we know whether or not Kyle Smith operates based on Ron Rivera's reaction um, uh, or, or influence or not. I, I think the answer is your answer. It's Ron Rivera. Ron Rivera is the person most responsible. By the way, I think it's a question that there are a lot of answers that people could have, including Alex Smith is most responsible and should deserve the most credit for the turnaround. As an aside, I'm actually surprised you answered the question so quickly rather than um, took me to task for, you know, calling it a turnaround because they are five and seven. But I think it's fair to say that this team is in a completely different position today than it was a month ago or a month and a half ago. It's a turnaround. Okay. I, I, I think so, it's too. Turn- but- Look, I, I have done not a 180, mm. but but close <laughs> in terms of, of where they are this season. So I would call it a turnaround. So I think that um, – I think something – Okay, as far as, as far as giving Alex Smith the credit – do you think it's possible that they'd be in the same place with Kyle Allen? With I the do. Quarterback? 
I do. Okay, then. Then, you know, you can't you can't put it all on Alex Smith. I mean, we love the guy. He's the Hallmark card quarterback for Washington football. But I think there's a chance they'd be right here with 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 Kyle Allen, too. I do, too. But I'm just saying that I think I'll, when I said I think there are a lot of answers to this question or there more, there's more than one answer, I'm just saying – you know, collectively, the fan base, the listeners to this podcast, the listeners to the radio show, the readers of your column might, you know, say Alex Smith. I wouldn't say Alex Smith. And I, I do think that the story is incredible, right? They've got two simultaneous incredible stories oh, going on right this now. This is what I call them on Twitter. They're the NFL's teddy bear now. <laughs> All of a sudden, they're cuddly. Really? All of a sudden, Washington's cuddly. The they're Washington really, it's, football it's team. It's unbelievable. They're, 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 they're a Today Show segment every day now. You know what? I'll tell you what. The team president certainly loves to go on Good Morning America. <laughs> That's for sure. I think, I think he's going to be the co-host of Good Morning America within two years. Um, but uh, in all seriousness, like Alex, the, the story is so phenomenal. And I'm sure the leadership and the inspiration and the understanding and having been there, the experience, the veteran, probably does give them more than maybe Kyle Allen would have. But Kyle Allen's mobility may have been – maybe some of what Kyle Allen could have done on the field would have, you know, offset what Alex is giving them, um, you know, in, in terms of, of leadership, et cetera, of, you know, veteran experience, et cetera. But, yeah, I actually I, – I do believe that I could see it in that first Giant game. You know that that they that Kyle Allen, there was something to him, and it was pretty obvious. I mean, I remember coming in here the day after the Giant game, saying, "Look, I, I was all for Dwayne getting 16 games, and and even you know the person that was saying at the end of last year, I, I want to see more. I mean, I saw progress. I, I see, I'm intrigued. But after that game against the Giants that Kyle started, that was the first professional, consistent effort offensively of the year. Like it was that obvious." I mean, I remember saying and getting in, into an argument with various people and when I said, look, whatever you think about the result, the offense was better, period. Like, you have to be blind not to have seen that Kyle Allen running Scott Turner's offense was completely night and day from what we had seen before. And, you know, we, we made the concessions, obviously, about the – the competition being not what it was in the first four games when you had Baltimore and you had Cleveland and you had the Rams, et cetera, or the first five games, whatever it was. Well, he started the, the uh, Rams game. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, I do think in many ways the results would have been similar. Um, uh, Ron Rivera is the answer because – it's what I thought when he when they hired him. I thought that they were, you know, and I was listening r r real quickly. Um, this this is part uh, of this conversation, but I was reading, didn't listen to Ky to Kyle Shanahan in his presser yesterday with the Washington media, and man, was he incredibly complimentary of Ron Rivera and Kyle this is, Smith. This is the this is the canary in the coal mine that sh that talks that that proves that the image of this football organization has done a complete turnaround when you've got Kyle Shanahan, one of their <laughs> vowed hated enemies. Right. He just, he, he can't feel that way about Ron Rivera. He can't feel that way about Alex Smith. How can you? 
You know, the guy they hated, one of the guys they hated the most is gone. And the other guy is running around the country suing people. Yeah, well, so yeah, th- I mean, and remember, it was just a year ago where Kyle was, you know, through the media taking subtle, if not direct shots at the organization. And then at the end of the game last year, they, his team did a slip and slide all over the field to rub it in, you know, when they won the game. And remember how excited yes. Kyle was. Now, Kyle said, you know, those are, you know, that's in the past and it's a different organization and he really respects Ron Rivera and Kyle Smith. I know that Mike and, and Kyle um, like Kyle Smith. I had Mike on the radio show uh, this morning and I did ask him, I said, all right, you got to be totally honest. Is it still personal with Kyle? Because, you know, one of the things, Tommy, I think we've talked about this before. Mike is not Kyle. They're two totally different personalities. Kyle is uh, Kyle's more, more arrogant. Kyle's more full of himself. Kyle, you know, holds a grudge. Kyle really was pissed off about what happened here, much more so than Mike was, believe it or not. And I think part of why he was so pissed off is because of the way it made his father look. And he knew the reason why it was the owner and it was the team president. Like they could not stand those people. Um, but Kyle's one that that is less... Um, less diplomatic about it, less political about it. And he's been, you know, he's been pretty direct. But in the in the press conference yesterday, he said, you know, it's a different group there. I really goes, I, I respect the hell out of Ron Rivera and Kyle Smith. And, and look at what they're doing. They're really good defensively. And Mike told me that this morning on radio, too. He said, you know, they're doing a hell of a job, and that's a good defense. Um, but anyway, Ron Rivera gets the credit because – I'm not going to sit here and try to pat myself on the back for this because, you know, I was concerned early in the season about what I was seeing. So I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to go against that. But when they hired him, they hired a guy that I thought was going to be a a culture guy. Like, you know, it was the same way I felt about Marty. You know, Marty was more of an authoritarian, as we talked about, you know, Ron, more of a player's coach. But I just knew they were getting like quality at the coach and they were going to get a guy that also uh, coached it the right way. Like his teams were tended to be overachievers, um, tended to get more out of less, tended to always get better as the season went on. But the the thing that I've noticed about him, and it started with, you know, really, Trent Williams, get the hell out of here. You don't want to be here, you're gone. Quentin Dunbar, I'm not dealing with anybody that might be and might have some sketchiness surrounding him. Ryan Kerrigan, really? We we owe him eleven million this year? He's staying. He's he's my kind of guy. The culture thing is about the kind of people that you bring in. You gotta have talent. But you got to people, which, by the way, immediately, I mean, not that I, this, this is a new uh, a thought. There is zero chance Dwayne Haskins is part of this program next year. Zero. Because, I would agree with that. Absolutely. Because Rivera wants tough, smart, dependable, which is something that Belichick's talked about a lot over the years, that he'll take tough, smart, dependable, accountable over talent any day of the, any day of the week. By the way, Dwayne's smart. Um, it's just that the dependable stuff, uh, you know, and it, it was not necessarily uh, Ron's kind of thing. Gibbs used to be this way. Remember, Tommy? Gibbs was all about tough guys, smart oh, guys, absolutely. character guys. You know, the, th- the thing with uh, Dwayne, and we keep hearing, you know, bits and pieces from teams about how far he's progressed behind the scenes. You know, Ron Rivera doesn't want a, even a young guy 
who had to be dragged into the right frame of mind. Exactly. Exactly. You got you to have it in you. I've heard Belichick before always talk about tough, dependable, and smart. He's like, this is a tough game we play. Uh, you know, Scott's told me about this too um, because he's gotten to know Belichick a little bit. Dependable. If I can't – smart. If you're, if you're not smart enough to get what, I'm, and, and what I and my staff are teaching you, then you can't be dependable. Uh, you know, I can't depend on you when the games start. And then, you know, dependable is important. All of that rises above talent. And always has. For Belichick, Gibbs was the same way. Rivera is very similar. You know, Rivera wants, you know, a certain kind of person that wants it, that 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 wants to be there, wants to buy into what he's selling. And if he, if it doesn't matter how talented you are, it, he'll move on from you. Trent Williams is the perfect example. Never gave Trent a chance. Quentin Dunbar would be a starting corner on this team, talent-wise. But not his kind of guy, obviously. He shipped him for a fifth. You know, um, so I think Rivera, the character of the people that and, and it, it'll take a while for him to get the whole roster, you know, turned around, but they never quit on him. They never quit on him. The, the, at one and five, this would have been a backbiting situation. This would have been season over situation with Gruden. Season over. And they hung in there. They believed in him. I'll also mention one other thing. You know, it's not who gets the the most credit for the turnaround. It's more of a what gets a lot of the credit for the turnaround. The fact that the division was so bad made it easier for Rivera to sell what he was selling about, we're still in this, follow me, do it the right way, we're going to be playing games that matter. You know, if Philadelphia right now was 9-3 and three, and Washington was 5-7, and seven, tied for second with the Giants, we wouldn't be in this, wow, what a turnaround mode. We would be, look, there's some things here that look good, and I love the way they've played recently, and maybe this can carry over into next year, but the fact that they actually have a chance to make something of it makes it even more of a conversation, I think. I agree. I agree with all that. Now, uh, one of the things that Rivera uh, it has been good at is he seems to have a real good understanding of how media works. And, uh, you know, I mean, his, he, he does that. There have been moments where he's been combative and, and snippy, but overall, uh, he has been smart enough and he did this in Carolina to, you know, to basically be media friendly. Uh, what we don't know now, now again, given that said, and we've talked about this before, it's not that it. He doesn't have a lot of pushback, you know? Not right. I mean, right. Right. There's not a lot of pushback. We don't know how he'll react, how he would react if, if, there, if there was a lot of pushback. There's no reason to push back right now. I mean, you know, he's, he's doing well. Things are going well. But, uh, I mean, he's come into a situation where uh, – and we've talked about this before – that you know, people talk about how tough the DC media is. Yeah. Well, he. <laughs> yeah. And I mean that that's just that's just not the case. It's just not true. No, it's it's not true. Look, I mean, when we have this conversation, I think you know, and I think we we say this typically, but I always feel compelled to say it. I do understand that when it comes to the skins, it comes to the football team. 
here in town that it's a serious thing and it's been a serious thing and and the fan base and the media base, base is tough but when, when, when we have this conversation we're comparing it to what tough really is you know New York Philly Chicago Boston you know where it the, I mean I I think look we've had the last three coaches right Rivera came from Charlotte you know Gruden was in Cincinnati Mike was in Denver um, you know, Zorn was in Seattle. Uh, you know, Gibbs no- knows what it was, but Gibbs didn't live through, you know, the, the media craze, social media, uh, internet, right. you know, uh, phase the first go around and didn't have to deal with the social media part of it either, even in, in from 2004 to 2008. Um, there was, um, th- there was something that Ron Rivera answered the other day about, uh, the whole process. It, it, I guess it had been a year since he had been fired in Carolina and he, somebody asked him about that or I, I don't know what the question was. I'll, I'll be honest with you, but he said, um, I would say this. I wasn't angry about letting, about getting let go at Carolina. I had a great conversation with David Tepper and I understood his reasoning. David Tepper, the, the new, newer owner who didn't hire right. Rivera. For me, it was more a matter of, I was disappointed that I didn't get a chance to finish it out. I was disappointed in the way that we had played more more so than anything else. We were six and six. Something people don't know. Last year's team, Carolina's team, was six and six, and then they, they had a shitload of injuries, including a quarterback. Um, we were six and six at the time. We had just lost to the Washington football team. That was tough. But in my exit press conference, the one thing I said was I was get I was going to get back into coaching. I wasn't going to take time off. I wanted the opportunity. I was looking for an opportunity I would feel really comfortable with. When I got the phone call, what happened was he had actually reached out to my agent and talked to my agent and told my agent he would like to talk with me. And this is about Snyder. My agent let me know. And so when Mr. Snyder called, I wasn't surprised. I was kind of anticipating it. The thing that I was really pleased about was that the conversation was about the football team and more, was less about the football team and more about reestablishing the culture. He said in he said that in his conversation with Joe Gibbs, Joe had told him about the things that I had done, meaning Ron had done, and what I had done with all of the situations we had here in Carolina. It was about culture. The conversation was probably a little over an hour, and I'd probably say about 45 minutes of it minimum was about culture, about rebuilding culture and doing the things that were needed uh, that that we that were needed, and this is going to be a coach-centric approach if this is what you're looking for. When we hung up, we were going to talk again. Sure enough, I believe that it was on December 9th that we talked, and he, so it would have been a year ago yesterday, this, their second conversation, and he had encouraged me to reach out to talk to Coach Gibbs, which I did. I got a chance to visit with Coach, but I also want to say that it was at the end of the week that he had asked me to come for an interview and asked me to look at his team. He had sent me a bunch of – he sent me the last game because I had missed the last game they had played on Sunday, so he sent me it on a disc or on one of those thumb drives. I don't know why he wouldn't have had access to the All-22, but he said, I plugged it in and watched it and broke the team down. He asked me to look at it more, so I started to t- look at the tape, and I pretty much put together a little report so that when I went out to see him, I was prepared. Then they asked, well, what was the second meeting like with Snyder? 
or what you know the the, the actual meeting face to face. He said, "I would need to look at the calendar, but I think it came at the end of the week. It followed into the following week. It was the weekend of the twelfth or thirteenth. I think we flew down on the twelfth and we and met with him in his office. We talked football straight through till dinner. Then had dinner with our wives. Then we went back in and talked more football. We got up the next morning, had breakfast, talked all the way up until we left, and then we flew home." back that meeting uh that day well that was not necessarily something i needed to read i thought there was more to it than that than that but you know this goes back to people telling you know dan culture your culture sucks your culture's terrible and him you know of course saying god damn it that bruce allen he really ruined our culture (laughs) and 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 then and then reaching out because really gibbs you know said a lot of nice things about rivera you know gibbs was was integral to this hire I wonder if he would, again, this is an aside, I wonder if he would be the same way given the pissing match between his good friend Dwight Schar and, and Snyder at this point. Yeah, I'd, you'd say he's really good friends with Dwight Schar. Obviously, I believe you. I just, I'm not yeah. familiar with the, the, that relationship. Um, yeah, I mean, and to your point, you know, there, the, you know, the, Sort of the stars are aligning, right? You know, he's winning immediately, which you thought was important. He's winning immediately with Snyder being totally preoccupied with something else so that he can't really be even focused on this right now because he's basically, I don't know if he's fighting to keep his franchise or, you know, whatever. Um, By the way, on that story in the Post the other day, you read it, right? Yes. I read it, and then, you know, Neil and Rockville actually broke the whole thing down for me. And and after reading it, you know, once again, I mean, what's in there, really? <laughs> I mean, it was sort of billed as some sort of big thing. Uh, you, you don't even know what the story is. Is it is it a story about David Donovan, the lawyer, <clears throat> who was also the chief operating officer of the team at the time, and a confidential settlement involving him? Or someone else with the team, or Snyder. Look, you don't know look, anything I, I, about it. I, I, as a journalist, when you're when you when you've when you're on a big story, you want to move it along every way you can. So any little development is worth writing on. I mean, you can't you can't you can't control as a reporter how the story is promoted or the story is perceived. You know, but you, what you don't want to do is just sit on it. I mean, I always used to tell my reporters that if you find one nugget of new information, that a story that is ours, that we've been reporting, you figure out a way to flesh that out into a full story. So I have no, I mean, you're right. The story really is, it doesn't really tell you other than they're, they're hiding something. That's what it tells you. The story tells you they're hiding something. That's the story. I mean, an organization that that is supposed to be, you know, supposedly transparent in this investigation is hiding something. Maybe it wasn't well written. Maybe it wasn't well, well edited, but, and, and, you know, you never really got that sense as to why am I reading this, but I have no problem with them writing it. Yeah, I, I should probably, for those that don't know what the hell we're talking about, just mention that during the game on Monday, the post dropped a story NFL investigation of Washington football team uncovers confidential settlement. You know, it's Beth Reinhardt, Liz Clark, Will Hobson, Liz and Will have been, and I think Beth too have been 
all over all of these stories, you know, going back to July. And basically, you know, the first paragraph reads, the NFL's investigation into allegations of workplace sexual harassment at the Washington football team uncovered a confidential settlement from a decade ago, court records show, and an emergency motion filed Monday said that team owner Daniel Snyder plans to intervene in a legal dispute over which details surrounding the settlement can become public. Um, well, th- that's a story. Hold on. Let because, me, because, hold- because of the transparency that supposedly comes with the Beth Wilkinson uh, investigation. Well, hold on for a second. The second paragraph, the name of the complainant in the settlement, that person's job and nature of the allegations have not been made public, but the available records show that lawyer Beth Wilkinson, who's leading the league's probe into the team's workplace, enco- uh, encountering resistance from the team's former lawyer. The team's former lawyer is David Donovan, who served as the team's general counsel from 2005 to 2011. I think he also had chief operating officer in his title at one point as well. So, so, Tommy, first of all, um, team owner Dan Snyder plans to intervene. There's nothing in here that says he has intervened, for, for starters. Secondly, um, th- okay, they've uncovered the fact that there's a confidential settlement from a decade ago. There is nothing about what that confidential settlement is. Why? Because it's confidential. Also, confidential settlements, you know, these are confidential so the, you know, an emergency motion to intervene in a legal dispute over which details surrounding the settlement can become public. I mean, they may inter- there could have been an inter- intervention and there was from David Donovan to make any of it public because it was a confidential settlement Two, confidential settlements in big companies are not uncommon. <laughs> you know, they can be about anything. They can be about, you know, compensation plan differences or getting fired, you know, for a reason that's in dispute. And the company finally says it just makes sense. Let's let's come to a settlement on the money that we'll pay you and you won't say anything bad about us and we won't say anything bad. It can be anything, you know, it, it, it. but now this coming on the heels of all of the other stories of sex, sexual harassment and misogynistic behavior in the organization, I think led a lot of people to immediately come to the conclusion of, ooh, there's a confidential settlement that may be protect that, that may have been a settlement that the owner had to make with an employee. Maybe, oh, this could be big. Well, actually, I, although it doesn't say anything specific about the confidential settlement with respect to who and what was confidentially settled, nothing in this story says who or what about, what, about the confidential settlement. Nothing. But if anything, if you were to lean in the direction of speculation, you would lean in the direction of it had something to do with the organization's attorney, David Donovan. I have no idea if that's true or not. I'm just saying the story reads, he's the one that seems to be more desperate to not have the settlement details become public. And Snyder, at least based on the story, just wants to intervene potentially about which of the details surrounding the settlement can become public. Again, there's nothing in here other than the it's, uncovering of a confidential settlement, which, Tommy, they could have written this story without even knowing it, and there, I guarantee you, there's more than one confidential settlement in an organization that's been around for 80 years or 21 years under this owner because there are plenty of them in a lot of companies, especially bigger companies. But, again, 
you know, I mean, it's, it's ridiculous to dismiss this story when you have an investigator that initially was, well, was always hired by the NFL. Right. Uh, to look into into charges of sexual allegation, of sexual misconduct, and they run into a confidential settlement, and they say, "Well, what's this about?" And they say, "Well, you can't know that; it's confidential." And then, they, then the next reaction is, "Well, I need to know." Yeah, right. Or else well, there's no transparency. Right. Well, Wilkinson's lawyers want courts to, you know. Um, to, to, to decide on, on documents that can be unsealed versus those that, that shouldn't be. Um, well, that, that's a story. You, you, want, you want somebody I'm to not... look at this and say, and, 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 and knowing with the investigation that's going on and see if it's relevant to the investigation. I don't think you just I... can't let. I'm so not saying it's that, not, I'm, I'm not saying it's not a story. I'm not saying that if I were in their position. So what are you saying then? What I'm saying is there's just not much to the story. Well, not not necessarily. Yeah, they, not, y- yes, not, necessarily. No, it, there's a lot unknown. What there what there is is a lot that's unknown. What I'm saying, but there, but there is a, a, a it's a significant piece of information that there's an investigation going on to the team, and there's a roadblock to that investigation. What I what I'm saying is that you know the uh, the story is that there's some sort of that the the post the NFL investigations into allegations of workplace and sexual harassment at the Washington football team uncovered a confidential settlement from a decade ago. Okay, so the, I'm not suggesting that you wouldn't write this uh, and, and that this wouldn't be something, especially when you're now in competition with the New York Times on this story, right? Because the Times right. is covering a lot of this story as well. I'm not suggesting that it's not worthy of, of pushing forward. All I'm saying is that for me... What did I really get out of this? I understand having been in an employment and an employer situation long before broadcasting that confidential settlements between employer, employers and employees aren't that rare. They're not that uncommon. You know, every big company's probably got a dozen to, to a lot more than that out there. So it's not that's not a surprise to me. But let me just mention this one thing before I lose this thought. The bottom line is, is that with this organization and all of the uh, 42 women that have come forward, et cetera, and a Beth Wilkinson investigation going on, it does lend intr- – like if this came out of nowhere, it would be like, well, you know – but at least, you know, in my mind I'm thinking, well, whatever was confidentially settled might be interesting. I just would well, – You see, that, that, that's the, – the, the thing with this story that I don't think diminishes the story is – your your is what we don't know. What's behind the curtain? Right. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I mean, but there's a curtain. I mean, you were told that every door was was going to be open to you, and then all of a sudden, there's a curtain that you can't get past. Right. What's behind the curtain is the biggest story about this story. What what is being hid? What is being confidential? So that uncertainty may be frustrating, uh, but I don't know how you get around around it. Uh, and uh, I, I just think I just I thought it was a worthy story uh, that maybe could have been crystallized a little bit better. I'll tell you what: 
it, it would have, would have been one of those like I don't know if I would have thought of it, but that somebody could have thought of, hey, you know what? Here's a story we can write. I guarantee you it exists. Just do a little bit of research, and I bet you'll be able to find some sort of confidential settlement between the employer and the employee at some point. Let's see if we've got any, you know, uh, insight, or we can find some court record that indicates there's some sort of, and then you, then we'll have another story to write, even though we we would have no idea what the details are, and maybe they do, and they just aren't, you know, privy to say or whatever. <clears throat> but that's one of those that if you if you understand what employers, you know, uh, and employees go through in most organizations, it was even money that one existed. <laughs> Whether we had the stories in July or not, it was even money that. that oh, I think. Yeah. I think. I think with Dan Snyder, I think he's got more confidential uh, settlements on on, on um, with employees than he does wins as an NFL owner. Look, this was we both know. This was a seedy, sketchy group uh, for many, many years. And this is why we're so focused on what maybe Ron Rivera's turning around culture-wise. Maybe Jason Wright has something to do with that as well. Uh, Jason Wright's job depends on the football team doing well. Everybody understand that. Like, they could be the nicest people in the community, which would be great. If the football team doesn't win, he can't sell tickets and he can't, he can't hit his revenue number. Um, one last thing on all this. You know, I... Uh, when you when you said you made a comment earlier that and then I I I forget exactly what you, what you said but it made me think to say you know the stars have aligned right that you know he's doing what you thought was important which is being a competitive team year one maybe a playoff team and two the owner's preoccupied you know in his life right now so he's not involved what I would also just say. And I think you would say this, so I'm going to say it for you because you haven't thought to say it yet. Sometimes you, you don't think of these things until after the show. Um, <laughs> here's the here's the concern. Not that Ron I got a R confidential agreement for you. <laughs> <laughs> here's the concern that Ron Rivera won't have because he hasn't been here long enough to have it, but the rest of us have, and that is if they really start to have some success here down the stretch, like if they get to the playoffs. Let me just tell you what Dan Snyder will not want his role to be. Diminished, marginalized. Yes. You know, you know, and not to be thought of as part of the reason that that this is yes. turned around. Yes. So just and yes. Yeah. So I'm very surprised you didn't think of that. I'm glad I thought of it for you. But just something to keep in mind. Like I'm excited as a longtime fan um, about what I see right now. But I have always, uh, I've always read Tommy's Surgeon General's warning, and I would just say that if they can, let's say they beat San Francisco this week, and then they beat Seattle, and all of a sudden they're seven and seven, and people are talking about, uh oh, you don't want to play them. He may be completely consumed with investigations and lawsuits and discovery motions. He will not want to be thought of that way. Just remember, I said that. And Tommy, no, and Tommy I, would I, have said that. I listen. I, I, I that's that's the Steinbrenner Tory uh, right. dynamic. That's that's the whole thing right there. Is it, it drove Steinbrenner crazy that Tory got all the credit for the Yankees' success? Yeah, and it was a serious, uh, it was a serious wall uh, between the two of them. And uh, I mean, yeah, you're right. At some point, Snyder after the euphoria of not having people hate his organization 
wears off, he's going to say, well, how come no one's patting me on the back? <laughs> right. He'll want to take – exactly. He'll want to take credit for Alex Smith. Um, he will totally uh, deny Dwayne Hat. No, in all seriousness, how would it manifest itself? I'll, I'll give you a perfect example of how it would manifest itself. So let's just say they go 8-8, eight and eight, win the division, and then even win a playoff game, and then they lose in the second round. Well, you know what? We're missing four or five pieces from being a Super Bowl team next year. Ron, you know, let's go out and get uh, – we got to go out and Ant- – uh, Antonio Brown's not going to be around with Tampa. We got to go get him. We got to <laughs> overpay A.J. Green. You know, we've got to go out and overpay, uh, you know, the top free agents in the game. Von Miller's available. Can you – I've already got – I've already – we're working on a deal. I sent the plane there. Von Miller's coming back. Not that Von Miller would be a bad get. My point is, is that that's how it would manifest itself, is he would want to be a part of the excitement of and and certainly would want to you know um, let me let me just say this and the way it would manifest itself initially is that he'd want credit for hiring Ron Rivera and 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 being the guy behind you know the you know helping Alex Smith get back to where he is at the very least yeah he he will balk at at you know being the guy left behind when when the credit train pulls out right. Right. Okay. I got uh, one other thing I wanted to ask you. Yes. Uh, before I go, we didn't talk about this on Tuesday. I'm sure you talked about it on your radio show. Uh, do you think that Alex Smith took the ball off the field on purpose at the end of the first half? Um, so we did talk about it a little bit, and then Cooley went into it in more detail. <clears throat> Number one, I think they were well prepared for the situation, which was good to know. Um, I think even if he didn't take the football off or the K-ball was available, I think they would have been on the field on time and they would have gotten the field goal off on time had the ball been spotted timely in a timely manner. The reason the ball couldn't be spotted in a timely manner um, and they stopped the clock is because the ball wasn't available. The ball, yes. the ball that they need is a K-ball, which is supposed to be, I think, in the possession of of one of the sideline referees, sideline you know officials, and they throw the K ball in. The K ball wasn't available. Now, would they have used the ball on the field and spotted that if the K ball wasn't available? Perhaps, but Mike Alex Pereira, Mike Pereira said they they normally they do. Normally, they if if the K ball is not available, they'll use the ball that yes. was on the field. Yes. Uh, it was Dean Blandino who said that, not Mike Dean Clara. Blandino, yeah. okay. Um, who, by the way, wasn't available for the first part of the game to you know uh, weigh in on the third and 13 Logan Thomas catch and first down that got challenged but for whatever reason wasn't overturned. Anyway, um, so Alex Smith taking that ball off the field didn't help them get a field goal off on time. It just helped them get a field goal with the K ball off on time. Because if he had left the ball in the field, they would have just used that ball and you would have had Dustin Hopkins kicking that ball instead of the other ball. I don't know the big difference between the two balls and whether or not he would have missed with the regular ball and not missed with the K ball. I can't answer that. But the bottom line is when the So K- you think they would have had enough time to kick the field goal? Yeah, no doubt. And in fact, okay. Ron Rivera, I was very, very pleased to hear him talk about how they, they time it out. You know, it's a 14 to sort of 17 second thing 
um, depending on what happened on the play. Like if it's a if it's a ball down the field and you got receivers that have to run from one field to the other, uh, one one end to the other to the sideline to get off the sideline, it'll take a little bit longer than a shorter play or even a sack where everybody's there. So they had when the play ended about 18 seconds. They would have gotten it off. They were prepared. They were prepared okay. for that. It sucked that he took the sack. Now Alex said. He did not take the ball off intentionally. Maybe that was, you know, playing dumb like a fox, um, you know. But I, I think that it's not unusual for that football to come off and the K ball to come in. What is unusual is for the quarterback who's got the ball in his hands to run off the field with it. Yeah, you yeah. know. But but that's the situation they were in too, which was a hurry up scramble situation. You're right. You're right. Okay, I get it. Okay, um, I'm with you. So anyway. Uh, okay. All right, uh, prediction on the game on Sunday. Man, look at I'm going. I'm going to get put my foot on the bandwagon. Nineteen sixteen, Washington wins. Oh, look at who! Look at who's jumped on board. Oh my God, uh, you are the I biggest am. front runner of all time. Um, <laughs> actually, you know what he's a front runner for himself, and them Absolutely. winning is good for him. Uh, all right, uh, I'll talk to you on Tuesday. Okay. Chris, okay, boss. Chris Cooley with his defensive film breakdown right after this word from one of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We're going in-depth, play-by-play. The Cooley Film Breakdown. Here's Cooley and Kevin. All right, time for Cooley's film breakdown of the defense from Monday night's win over Pittsburgh. Have at it. Pretty good game defensively. You know what I found funny today? I've seen multiple things with people dogging Ben Roethlisberger. Brandon Marshall had something that I saw on Twitter today. Remember the receiver, Brandon Marshall? Yeah, of course. Where he was saying the Ben's it's Ben's fault. He needs to check his ego because he's changing the plays at the line of scrimmage. They had run plays called and he's changing them into pass plays. And then Tomlin's looking down the line of scrimmage at the offensive coordinator, and the offensive coordinator is saying, "Hey, I called a run. He changed it." Ben Roethlisberger pretty good. <laughs> he had about I think he had about eight drops in that game. And and you know the last time I really checked our film, which was this morning, they they. Didn't have a lot of success running the football. Yeah. Uh, and then he went through, you know, it's not, we're not talking about the RPO game. Some of the RPO game, that that's different. You know, you get into like, well, I write weak. I'm like, I write? There's no RPO in I. 
<laughs> I just I think it's funny some of these guys. Yeah. And and you you try to find reasons that Pittsburgh didn't win that ball game or whatever it was, other than they can't run it. They don't have Connor. Washington's defense was very stout against the run, especially against that team. They're not built to run it. And they had seven or eight drops. Yeah, seven, which was the most by a team in the NFL this year. So seven officially, yeah. Do we want to say Ben or something else? Yeah, but but would you would you say about the offensive game plan that even though they're not built to run it because they haven't run it at all this year, close games, blowout games, really doesn't matter. They are heavy pass to run ratio. Ben has had more pass attempts than any quarterback in the league. Don't you think some threat of run would help them out a little bit or not? If you can run it, if you can't run it, then it's just well, Con- they, they didn't have Connor, so that that you know they they clearly run it more when he's in the lineup, but not a lot. Yeah, no, I totally get it. I'm trust me, I'm a Shanahan run for system scheme guy. Yeah, I that's you. totally me. But I'm also a you know do what suits you type of offense and I can tell you they don't have tight ends that can block in the run game I feel like their offensive line should be okay I got a couple guys a couple dudes that should be able to block the, the run game but essentially Ben gets the ball out immediately immediately he's yeah. so fast with so his fast. decision process yeah. and so those four yard underneath throws serve as runs they set up the deeper throws he doesn't necessarily need run action stuff to get the ball down the field. I did like I went back and rewatched some of the game. They took a shot down the field the second to last play of the game. I think they took a shot to Claypool. They're down 20 to 17. Daryl Johnson says something like, you know, it, Pittsburgh's just a team that hasn't been able to push the ball down the field. This is a situation where you have to be able to push the ball, take shots down the field. Like, they're fucking prevent. <laughs> now where you push the ball down the field. Oh gosh. I just some of the stuff I hear, it's mind bottling. Yeah. Do you think it's because in some of the cases these guys have just not they've not been close <laughs> to the game? Joke. It's fine. What did you say? I said it was mind bottling. Oh, I, I didn't hear the bottling. I, I just heard bottling. I know. I heard bottling. You, you, you pass over movie lines quickly. But uh, I didn't want to just pass over it and have people think I actually meant bottling. Okay. And well, it's ahead. one of the reasons I typically have to watch a movie for a second time. Um, uh, but do you think sometimes it's because they've just been out of the game for so long and been away from the game? Like, even though you haven't been playing the game, you've been analyzing film you were close to an organization here for the last several years what do you think it is or did they just never understand the game even when they were playing it i think it's i think a lot of it is just pushing narratives daryl johnson talked throughout the entire game about pittsburgh needing to get the ball further down the field and he wanted to continue the narrative I don't know what Brandon Marshall is talking about. I don't know what some of the people are talking about with Ben Roethlisberger in Pittsburgh. That's not the problem. He's not the problem with their offense. And if you think you need to run the ball more, Mike Tomlin understands how to run the ball. They understand how to run the ball. They're doing it. They're Excuse me. They're not running the ball because they're not good at it. Right. They don't have the personnel to do it. They chose to build a team that way. They have five receivers who are better than their first back. No problem with what Pittsburgh's doing on offense. Not the way I'd set up my team, but no problem with it. 
I wanted to go through two plays before we get right to the defensive film breakdown. One, you talked about kicking a field goal on the fourth and one that they took the shot down the field. Yeah, to uh, McFarland. Why the hell? Why the hell wouldn't you have kicked a field goal? I don't know. I'm watching that game again, going. You're take you the definitely, lead. you definitely kick a field goal there. Yeah. You just you take the lead right there, and yeah. you believe in your defense. That's the number one defense in the NFL. Right. That made no sense to me. Well, they had they had a rookie kicker, but he had already made one. He had made both of his extra points, and it would have been a forty-five yarder, I believe. Um. So yeah, I mean, look, well, they- I guess you're saying Tomlin does that often. He oh no no no! no. Like they they believe and Ben believes very much so in you know going for fourth downs, especially fourth and shorts. And I guarantee you, analytically, you know, with what was there left, five minutes left in the game, something like that. Um, but, uh, you know, why not, I don't know, like third and one they threw it and fourth and one they threw it, and now you've given the ball back to the other team and the score's still tied. You're right. You, you should believe in your, your defense. It's the number one defense, one of the top defenses in the league to, you know, at least protect a three-point lead or at least, you know, maybe Washington comes down and gets a field goal, but you, you'll get it uh, another time. I don't know. It was, it was weird. No, I'm with you, and if you don't believe in the kicker, then you shouldn't assign the kicker. Right. I, I understand that he's a rookie kicker, but there are plenty of dudes out there that can hit a 45-yard field goal. Yeah, he was on the practice squad, and Boswell was sort of a late scratch. Um, yeah, I, I mean, there, there are plenty of dudes. We're not talking about a 55-yard field goal. We're talking about a 45-yard field goal. Yeah. Uh, uh, pretty much every college kicker right now can hit a 45-yarder. Right. So I, that's an interesting I made decision. A, uh, Zabe made a 45-yarder in the bubble that year. I made a 40-yarder. Or it was like thirty-five, maybe. Yeah, and you kicked it off a tee. <laughs> it was off. It was, a bit, <laughs> it was off a tee. No, no, no. We had somebody holding it. Somebody was holding it. Uh, Nick Ashu. Uh, Nick Ashu was holding it for uh, us. Okay, I know. It's not that big of a deal. No. Forty-five yarder. <laughs> big whoop. <laughs> so the the interesting thing about that play is Washington's in man-to-man coverage, and Dar they have the the back McFarland go out outside the numbers. Yeah, Darby's sitting outside. But he's locked on the tight end, uh, McDonald. Yeah. And Bostic all of a sudden runs late. And I'm sitting there going, I think I'd rather have Darby out on the back and let Bostic cover McDonald, who ends up pass blocking anyways. Right. Like It, it should have been a completion. They got Bostic. They had what they wanted. Ben just... Didn't put enough touch on it for a back who's not accustomed to catching that ball down the field. I know, but back to game situation here for a moment. So if that's for in the first quarter or the second quarter and you want to take a shot, because that is taking a shot. And when you, sure. ta- when you take a shot on fourth and one, it's not just whether or not you got the right matchup and whether or not you know it's covered well. When you take a deep shot down the field, a lot has to go right for that play to work. I mean, it's got to be a good throw. It's got to be a good catch. You know, not always a good catch, or, you know, sometimes it's an easy catch. But, you know, if it's a back shoulder throw, there's got to be a perfect, you know, cohesive, uh, you know, uh, turn and, and, and with your body to catch it. I just think on fourth and one, I'd rather run something that I know is going to get, you know, five yards, that it's going to be an easier, lower risk play. You're right, it should have worked, but it was also a high-risk play. I'm, I guess I'm not sitting here saying it should have worked. I, I'm just saying that they had what they wanted. 
they had what they wanted, but to me, it would have it should have been what they wanted in the second quarter or the third quarter, not a tie game with five minutes to go. Because even though they had what they wanted, what percent do you think that was chance that that was going to be completed? What percent chance? I can't give you. I can't give you a random percentage. I mean, ninety three point six percent. You you really think it was guesses are right? So I don't know. (laughs) What do you think it was? It was it was over fifty percent. I'm sure they completed it in practice. Okay, so over fifty percent, maybe not more than sixty. Yeah, that's that's going to be a really arbitrary number. I haven't seen McFarland catch a lot of slant. Goes, uh, my my so. point is, you know, maybe another play, maybe a run would have been a sixty five percent, seventy percent play on fourth and less. The I got to go back and look at it. But if I, I, I guess my point really is not necessarily what Pittsburgh called or should have done. I would have kicked a field goal in that situation. But my point is more: Why do you want to put Bostic out on the back? Why do you want to have McFarland running that route? Well, you ran a pretty good route. It's a back shoulder throw. Well, you want to have McFarland running that route because you're going to get a matchup with Bostic. I understand you that. You get the matchup that you want when I, you put the back out there. I understand that's that, you, but you, you would have rather that, had but... an experienced Connor who wasn't available for that play. I, I'm sure, and, and at that, you would have rather had it work out with Le'Veon Bell. And sure, even when you say that, it wouldn't have been Bostic out there with Le'Veon Bell. It would have been Darby. They would have made that adjustment. I don't. <laughs> He was wearing Le'Veon Bell's number. I just think it's really interesting that they didn't just bump Darby out and say, hey, look, I'll I'll cover the tight end. There's actually a chance this tight end stays in and blocks because we're showing some blitz pressure. And why don't you go and D up the back, who's probably more of a threat than the tight end who hasn't caught one pass today. Got it. I I don't know. Um, Montez Sweat got a little pressure on that play, if you look at it again. And it forces just a little bit earlier throw, in my opinion. And I think that helps because if there's any more touch on that ball, I don't know. Yeah, I say that, but back to your point, why would you have McFarland who looked like he'd never caught a pass in his life? Yeah. Um, you know, the only other play that I, I wanted to discuss is, is like a, a questionable call, in my opinion. And Del Rio continues to do this at times. And it, some of his blitzes are really well-designed and some get home and this may have not been necessary. Was this the late developing safety blitz? Yes. Yeah. I I wrote that down. I didn't mention it to you, but it was so ineffective and it ended up being a big play for Pittsburgh. It's a third and 12 in the second quarter, right right at the beginning of the second quarter, 14, 12 in the second quarter. They ended up completing like a 17 yard comeback to Deontay Johnson. Yeah. Johnson. Uh, Maybe maybe Cameron Curl hits this too late, but he's he's walking down from depth. I, they, you know, a lot of times when Washington's done this or when other teams do this, when they have those late developing pressures, they start with three defensive linemen on the side that they're going to bring pressure from. They bring pressure to the side of the back. They only have two defensive linemen in Allen and Chase Young on that side, so all they got to do is turn the center that direction, which they're already doing. They don't even have to check anything, and they pick it up. They have four to pick up four with the back. Right. Maybe you're hoping with the late developing pressure with Cameron Curl that the back gets out 
and doesn't see him coming. Mm-hmm. But you're playing Ben Roethlisberger. The ball's out. You don't have time for this. Yeah, I remember making a note. I'm like, what are they doing here in third and 12? I mean, if if you're going to have a safety blitz, why isn't it like a safety blitz that has a chance of being disruptive? He basically starts, and I just pulled up the play, he starts a full 10 yards behind the line of scrimmage. Like, he's nowhere near and and the ball is actually snapped before he starts to blitz. It's it's really there's zero chance of that affecting the play. It's going to take him four and a half seconds just to get there. And ben, ben could take two snaps and make two throws by the time Cameron Curl would have gotten there. But they went on to score on that drive. You were in a third, te- a third and twelve situation. I know. I know. Playing pretty good defense. Right. Did that, you feel like at that moment you needed to make that kind of a change? That was frustrating. I remember was it was like, really... what is he doing there? I, mean, I don't want to be a whiny butt about this, but <laughs> I'm going to have to tell someone how to do their job here. I mean, you can say that all you want, but you could also say that Cameron Curl got the call late and hit it late. I, who knows? No. I don't know what. He's... It, looked like it, was, it looked like it was orchestrated like they wanted it to be. It just didn't. Just didn't suit the game plan, in my opinion, versus the team you were playing. Right. Yeah. That's all. Um, By the way, it's a great route by Johnson. Oh, it's Deontay Johnson had a couple excellent routes in this game. He's a really good player. Yep. Deontay Johnson, I think, is in watching this film, he's their best receiver. Yeah, it's funny because, you know, Schuster was supposed to be the guy, but Johnson's really um, – I'd have to go look at their numbers, but I thought before I looked at him before the game last week that Johnson's numbers were better. I Yeah, their, their three receivers have more yards than anybody else in the league. But Yeah, because, because there are so many throws and so many completions. Sure. So they do – I mean, they throw – Yeah, Deont- Deontay, Deontay Johnson – Smith Schuster has more catches, eight more catches. He gets seven, he's got 73. Johnson's got 65. But Johnson's been targeted much more than anybody else and has more receiving yards. His actual target and reception percentage isn't very good. It's 65 out of 106. So it's basically roughly around 60%. It's not a great. Um, no, you got to be over 70 yeah. for a great percentage. I remember the couple. it was a couple years that Josh Doxson's percentage was like 39. Oh, no. <laughs> there, were, there weren't a lot of targets, though. Yeah, there's 40 targets. He's caught about 12 of them. Oh, <laughs> uh, I love uh, I love Josh at TCU. He was so good. God, he was good at TCU. God, he was. Go up and get a ball. The one more thing I wanted. You asked me a question two days ago, and you said, "Were there was that defensive line coach to jump and try to bat balls down?" I said, you know, I don't know. You're playing a quarterback that gets the ball out, and sometimes you're not – you know you're not getting home on a rush, so you just jump. No, they're coached. They're jumping way early. Yeah, right. They're not – they weren't finishing rushes. Exactly. Right. No question. And they also stunted a couple of times, either young or maybe sweat, right into the middle passing lanes. And Kerrigan, a yeah, lot. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I thought, of those I thought Kerrigan, actually, I, 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 I'll, I, I'll wait to hear your film breakdown, but I meant to mention to you the other day, he seemed to get several good rushes. He did. You are right. He did have some good rushes in that game. Let's start with Kerrigan. Okay, let's do it. I thought he had three or four pressures, a couple off a of stunt. He had one nice pressure off the edge where he just 
punked the right tackle, knocked him down. He's in Ben's face. Thought he was really consistent in playing run. Didn't have any sacks, but you know he forced a hold. They cast. They called a hold on DeCastro where Kerrigan got in there on an inside stunt. Uh, to me, I just I still don't see that quick putting your put your foot in the ground transition step. It's just a little hesitant, and it's just a little bit slower than he's been in the past. But he played really well. He came off the edge where he needed to come off the edge. He crashed the pocket. He had his hands up in passing lanes. The, the entire defensive line made it a little bit tougher for Ben to throw the ball. And they did have some pressures. They had no sacks, but they did have some pressures. I thought Kerrigan was an A minus in this game. Wow. This is his highest grade of the season. Yeah, uh, it seemed to he me. Played like 30 snaps, too. It's the most snaps he's played all season. I think. Um, I'm looking. He may at have it. had one more game I'm, where Chase I'm, Young went out. I'm looking at it right now. He had 30 snaps. I think um, so. Oh, I closed that. I closed that list. Hold on, let me pull it up. Go ahead, continue. I'll have. No, I think Ryan, Ryan Kerrigan. I, I'm <clears throat> pretty sure he had 30 snaps in this ball game. So yeah, that that would certainly be near a season high, no doubt. If it was 30, because I but, there, there have been I, games that he had he had single digit snaps. Yeah, 30 snaps. Yeah, I thought he was impactful throughout the entire game. He, I mean, it wasn't like he made a ton of tackles. It wasn't like he had sacks in this ballgame. But there's still – I got to give him credit. He does have a knack for finding where the quarterback's going to move in the pocket. He's got a, a knack for knowing – Has always had that. Which way the quarterback's going to slide and move in the pocket. He's always it, sniffed he out does. screens really well. Yeah, I mean, we're going way back in his career to some of those things. But, yes, he has had a good understanding of what defenses or offenses are trying to do to him. I will absolutely grant you that. Montez Sweat. Yeah. He's a – he's – I'm just – I will – he's a pro bowler. He's going to make the pro bowl. There's I, there's there's no doubt. He should, he should be a pro bowler. He's been outstanding. He gets better every game. You know, early in the year, there were like a quarter and a half where Sweat would take a game over. But then there was no, the, the rest of the game where you're like, ah, oh, he's out there doing a pretty good job. I thought he was really consistent through this entire game. I mean, unblockable in the run game. They'd try to pull a guard at him and run some of those gap scheme plays out of gun. No, no chance, dude. He's blowing up guards. There's a, they ran an inside zone play where they're pushing at him. And the tackle's on him. He just reaches his right arm out and wraps the ba- the running back around the waist. And he doesn't actually bring him down, but he completely turns him around right there. It ends up being a tackle for no gain. Like, that is a big, strong dude to be able to do that. The back's coming at him hard. It was like a Red Rover play. Right. Red Rover, Red Rover, don't go at Montez Sweat. <laughs> yeah. Because you, you're, you're going to be on our side. Um, that didn't really fit the rhyme. Uh, you're not good at that. No, sometimes I am, but yeah, that was really off. Galdi's really good at rhymes, rhyming keys to the game. Yeah, but he writes them down. Oh, well, he, he writes that, he prepared. writes a lot of things down, but there's nothing wrong prepared. with that. What was the back's name right there? Snell? Yeah, Benny no. Snell. I'm not going to worry about a rhyme there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he had multiple pressures in the game. He had three batted balls. Yeah. One on the screen that was awesome in the fourth quarter. The tip pick that was outstanding. I mean, that's absolutely huge. He was in Ben's face often. They did a really good job of just collapsing the pocket with Ben, too. Just continuing to collapse the pocket. They knew 
that he was going to have the ball out. So that push pocket really started to collapse the rush lanes and ha- give him more of a chance to get hands up in the air. Would they end up with five batted balls in this game? I think uh, I think it was four, but he had three, but it might have been five. By the way, the screen in the fourth quarter, I haven't watched that play. I'm going to go find it. Was it almost a pick? Did he almost mm. pick six it or not? It would have. It would have been the all-time best reacher handout. Look what I found. Well, play. he's got long ass arms. So yeah, he does have long arms, but still, to just reach your hand out to the side and snag a ball is like the old fantasy files commercials. That'd be incredible if he'd have picked that thing. God, he's a monster. Just watching him the other night, I'm so glad he's they a monster. Him. Yeah, he is. He is so good right now. Yeah, he was an A in this game. Drum Payne had a bad ball. You watch the goal line stand and watch him come off the ball on every single play and you just go, my God. I, I mean, in the backfield, the, the the pass that they tried to throw to the offensive lineman, right. th- that actually may have had a chance, but Drum Payne's seven yards in the backfield when Ben lets that go. Right. He had no time to develop. Well, the O-lineman would have fallen. He was falling, so he would have fallen short of the goal line. It might have been a lost yardage play. <laughs> Listen, you, you want to sneak an O-lineman out, you got to sneak him into the end zone. <laughs> yeah. You can't actually ask him to turn and run with the ball in the flat, like, right. unless he's going to be wide open. He actually had a chance to be open. If it was a tight end, he probably would have been because both Curl and Holcomb freeze a little bit on yeah. the run action. But, God, he's just like – looking his head all over the place, drifting around. He had no chance, man. No chance. Bad call, Pittsburgh. Bad call. He tried to be cute. Didn't work. Payne, really, some of the run plays in this game, it Just it's just a one-arm post, drive back yard, two yards into the backfield, have the chance to shed, make plays. Really awesome. Uh, consistent pressure in the A or B gap with bull rush, hands in the face of the quarterback. Had a tackle for loss on a draw in the third quarter, or on a third down in the fourth quarter. It was awesome. He had a little stunt inside, played right into the back, saw it. Not a lot of negative. I, I mean, one one draw play uh, in the third quarter, he overruns inside. And I actually noted, why didn't why doesn't Pittsburgh at least more, run more draw? The one decent run play they had right. was a draw. Yeah, good point. If you're going to throw the ball 50 times and you're not an impact run team, then run some more draws. Of course. The, the old the old Cooley, keep them honest. Yeah, let's at least keep them honest. Well, and the thing is, is even if they're not going to stay honest, let's at least take five and six yards when, you know, twice a quarter on draw plays. Yeah. Because they, you can get it. Right. I thought Jerome Payne was a B-plus in this game. Jonathan Allen. I think he played uh, well. I bet he. I bet he's got a good grade. You know, he did play really well. He plays really consistent. He's like he, I, I note this almost every single game, but I did again in this game. Uh, he has great control and he wins with his hands in the run game. And he takes over his gap and he's ready to shed and make a play if the ball ends up bouncing into his gap. And he's just really consistent with that one on one. And he was in this game. They're they're getting up front. They're they're a better gap sound defense. They're playing on the other side of the line of scrimmage more than they did early in the season. Payne and Allen, for sure, settle some. Uh, Allen had a couple of good pass rushes. One early in the game. I think the first play of the game on a run action pass, he ends up getting a quarterback hit on Roethlisberger. 
I actually think part of the reason they didn't have a lot of run action stuff was because they didn't want longer developing plays. Because right. They knew with some of the longer developing plays, they weren't they weren't going to be able to get the ball. Well, I think Detroit, I think Detroit felt the same way, and uh, and Dallas felt. I, I think teams are are purposefully now trying to scheme around what they deem to be a very good front four that can get immediate pressure. By the way, inside and outside. Absolutely. If I'm playing Washington right now, I'm going with the quick passing game more more than not. If And the thing that they've done that I think that is really a smart adjustment is they're playing really edge-sound run defense with – Chase Young and Montez Sweat in in that you have these wide ends and you can't get to the edge against them. Right. And so almost all the run stuff has got to go immediately in the middle. And what was it like four weeks ago where we talked about the linebackers, we were so critical of late gap fits on this podcast. And then the next day, Ron said the linebackers have to be better in their gap fits. And then all of a sudden they were, and now no one's really ran the ball against them. Right. I think they've kind of found a rhythm. It's a defense that has made adjustments to bear defense, some in this season, to five-man front, almost a 3-4 looking front, some in this season. And now I think is really starting to understand and trust the guys around them. We're going to find out what kind of run defense we have on Sunday. This will be the biggest run defense test of the year. No, I think they will find out if they're going to stop the run on Sunday. It's just the question is, do you really want to go over the top stopping the run against San Francisco? Because you got to wonder if they can really win the game just running the football. I I think Kyle can, but at the same time, is that your biggest fear? I don't know. I think your biggest fear is some of the run action pass stuff. So if you really want to stop the run – you can commit to it, but then you you start risking. Do we want to get beat over the top, and then do we give them true balance? Well, what was the most difficult defensive game of the year? The worst they played on defense was the Rams game, right? So, so it's if gonna, I was, they're going to see a I lot was, of what they saw against the Rams. Yeah, but what they got really gashed was not necessarily just the run. It was it was the run action pass with some of the two man combinations where they got linebackers out of place in the middle of the field. Their underneath defense wasn't good. That's been a big improvement even Bostic in this game but it's been a big improvement yeah. so you're going to tell Bostic hard downhill gap fits get out of place get thrown over the top or you're going to say let's just let's just trust our, our front and if they get some five and six yard runs we'll give it to them all right continue with John Allen you know for, for the most part <laughs> Kev I, I would really just say moved once with a triple team which was actually interesting that they triple teamed him up front it was pretty cool by the offensive line triple teaming to get to the second level or it was just an f up but you know i thought really consistent this game jonathan allen was a b chase young yeah his rally to the ball is just awesome his relentlessness is is really really good um what, what's the Urban Meyer thing I was saying the other week? Like A to B, four to six, four to six, A to B. Right. Four seconds to six seconds from point A to point B. And he is all about that, man, which is why he's great playing screens out of the backfield. Uh, it's why he's great chasing things down. It's, it's a high motor player and Chase Young. 
huge play on the fourth and one on the goal line right coming off the ball getting inside of ebron and and really the other thing i love about it is you see a smartness to him like he timed that motion up by ebron he knew a second that ebron came and sat on the other side and squared his shoulders on that motion that they were going on one that the ball was coming off and he got inside of ebron quick it was great uh big tackle at the uh, on a third down right at the end of the half on a on a little swing that got outside. Remember, DeShazer came over and made a hit right before they get the first down, but yeah. really great job rallying outside, making a big tackle. Uh, had a couple quarterback hits in this game. One was on a Moreland penalty where he had a quarterback hit where he got inside on Roethlisberger. The other one was in the fourth quarter where it was almost an interception, really disrupted the ball, knocked it awkward out of Ben's hand. I thought Chase Young was awesome. You know, they stunted him. They moved him. When he was one-on-one with Villanueva, I think he's really started to set things up as the game progressed. There wasn't a ton of time to set things up because Ben had the ball out so fast. Um, But hands up, some of the stunts, you can see him getting into that B-gap and just going hands up. And Chase was as big of an indication to me that Either they, they as a D-line, really just sensed that the ball was going to be out or they were coached. If you're not there in two seconds, just start getting your hands up. That, yeah, he was the one more than anybody else. He seemed to yep. be like more anticipating, trying to disrupt the throw without getting to the quarterback. Yeah, absolutely. It was all of them. They were coached. Chase Young was an A. So we have really just settle left. Settle played 25 plays, not much of an impact player. One tackle for loss in the backfield was a real good play. He had the stupid penalty um, on 25 plays. Tim Settle was a C minus. Okay. That's your defensive line or right. your defensive front. All right, let's take one more break. So, Montez uh, Sweat. Yeah. Montez Sweat A, Young A, Kerrigan A minus, Allen B, Payne B plus, uh, Settle C minus. All right. Uh, we'll get to the linebackers in the secondary right after this word from one of our sponsors. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shea Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Don- Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina wine mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. All right, so let's get to the linebackers. Start with Bostic. I thought this was Bostic's best game. He's a good rally to the ball. 
that he tackled really consistent. Had a nice tackle in the first quarter on Ebron where it was a third down play and he did not lower his helmet. He put his shoulder into Ebron. It was good. And and off that play, you know, he he starts with blitz. He ends up bailing back, finds his way right to Ebron and does a really good job getting a stop to get a three and out on one of the early plays in the game. I thought he did a very nice job adjusting the motions and initial formations. Both him and Holcomb did that throughout the game. They shifted and moved to some of Pittsburgh's motions really well. They did a consistent job being exactly where they were supposed to be. Really good job with eyes throughout the game. Uh, the Ebron, Ben threw a great ball to Ebron in the end zone on that little hitch and go right Kyle Shanahan that we always called the old jerk off route yeah it ends up getting broken up by DeShazer but really good job by Bostic not necessarily taking the bait because if Ebron can get him just a little bit more he can bend it over the top of Bostic get a whip uh, get away from the safety a little bit further um more consistent in his coverages I like when they let him be the Tampa Mike player they let him play with a little bit more depth, depth they actually yeah. coach him into playing with a little bit more depth and that helps him to not have to make that adjustment as a three deep underneath player um, you know, he had a missed tackle in the third quarter on Jalen Samuels. It gives up a little bit too much. The fourth down wasn't necessarily good. The fourth and one in coverage wasn't really good, but he gets away with it. And then maybe just once in the game, he gets caught up on a run action in the third quarter. They get a 14-yard gain over the top of him to uh, Deontay Johnson. But I thought Bostic played his best game. I thought he played his most consistent game. He was an A-. minus. Wow. That is Cole by Holcomb. far and away his best grade of the year f- from you. Yeah, without question. Holcomb, really good rally of the ball and good tackle in open field throughout the game. Great job playing a screen on a third and 15 on the second drive of the game, making a tackle on Deontay Johnson. Really good in terms of when he's keen to run. I think early in the game there was actually a blitz. There was a stunt up front, but he makes a play in the backfield for a tackle for no game. His pattern match stuff on short throws and really in third down stuff was really good looking up crossing routes from the other side of the field finding where some of those receivers are coming from and knowing how to react to that versus just spot dropping was so much better holcomb's actually really good at that i i I think i wrote good tackle three or four times out on out in space towards the flat with the running back on some screens and stuff really good um the one negative i would say is if you watch that tip pick interception at the end of the game ben's throwing it out to the flat He's an underneath defender who's responsible for the flat, and he has his eyes stuck inside. It would have been an easy 10-yard game, but for the most part, I thought Holcomb played really, really well. Again, consistently, Holcomb was an A. Wow. Um, the grades you're giving out today. Whew. I'll get worse. Okay. <laughs> this is a great A day right now. It was a great A defense. What okay. can I say? All right. Who's up next? KPL? Yeah, KPL only played 23 plays. Amazingly enough, he was beat out in the flat twice. <laughs> One late in the flat ends up making a tackle for only a four-yard gain, which is good, and then beat later in the game by Jalen Samuels. Uh, and, and Samuels gets out for a pretty good play in the flat, and I'm like, he's the flat master. What the hell happened here to KPL? I do not know what happened. It's, it's wild. Uh, couple of, One of the screens out, really good fighting through a block. Good fits in the run game when he was in there. KPL was a B. Thomas Davis. Oh, yeah. I don't understand exactly the necessity to have Thomas Davis in the game right now. 
The interesting run. thing with Davis is I think that his eyes and keys aren't as good. And for a savvy veteran player, you'd expect some slowness, but it's not necessarily slowness. I think he's out of position. He's late diagnosing run a couple times. He's soft on the offensive lineman climbing. The draw play that I said got out, man, he really got smoked inside by the tight end. Did not see that at all. But in not seeing it, he should have been deeper in a pass drop situation. He wasn't blitzing. It was interesting. They're the third and 14 that they completed in the third quarter over the top of Davis. And th- their zone coverage, he's it, he's sprinting up to take the running back away. He's got Moreland. I think it's Moreland just outside of him as an underneath zone defender as well. And you're like, dude, you, you, you want them to throw that ball. You want them to throw the four-yard flat route or the four-yard swing route to the back. He can't get the first down if we just tackle him. You take away the deep ball, and then you rally to the short and tackle. That was interesting for me on Thomas Davis. I didn't necessarily understand this. Davis was not a positive impact in this game. He was a D. So that's your linebackers. Bostic A minus. Cole Holcomb A. KPL B. Thomas Davis D. Right. Why did Thomas Davis play? You got any idea on that? Why did, are you asking me why he plays? Sure. Why, why did well, he play as much as he I, did in this game? I, I I don't know why he played as much as he did in this game, but he's played uh, you know, st- more recently. I think they just like – in the same way they like Bostic, they love the smart, dependable, um, even though – you know, now Bostic can run. Davis can't run. I don't know why Davis is playing. Every time I watch him, it looks like he's stuck in quicksand. Oh, he's way stuck in quicksand. Yeah. Can't run. No, can't run and is not making the adjustments that you'd want him to make in this game. Right. Let's get to the secondary here. Please. We'll start with Darby. A little bit of up and down for Darby in this ballgame. One, the first play of the game, great defense down the field on a go ball with Washington. Thought it was awesome. You love it? Yeah, but were they playing a little bit more soft coverage in the first half and then that was part of the adjustment in the second half? It's hard to say because that first play of the game, it's not soft coverage with Darby. I'm not I talking think. about the first play of the game. That was the, the shot they took. Like That's where Moose Johnson should have said, hey, we're going to take a shot early just because we're coming back and getting it out quickly the rest of the game and we want them to respect something deep. I mean, it's almost like that's what the play – wasn't that the first play from scrimmage? I think it was the first play from scrimmage. Yeah, and did they take many shots, truly deep shots the rest of the game? Not – a lot of deep shots. Right. You know, one of the first big plays of the game, they got Darby on a little stick route by Washington, who got down the seam. Yeah, right. You know, he jumped that way too quick. Uh, th- I mean, there was a couple plays that Darby was really good. There's a third and four play in the game that they take a shot down the field to Deontay Johnson, and Darby's right there to, to lock it down. But, I, again, I think both of those shots downfield, the one to Washington and the one to Johnson, I think they were both thrown out of bounds. Yeah. So, you know, Darby is a guy, He to me, is a guy that is pretty good with tight coverage. I think he gets beat with double moves more when he gets off coverage more. Right. And then, really, Darby kind of fell down. There was a clay pool throw down in the red zone on a third and seven where he ran the out, up, and stop. And he can't stay with it. He kind of falls down at the last second, gets down to the two-yard line. Um, Darby was a B-minus in this game. Fuller. 
I think Fuller struggled more than anybody lately, and I'm not exactly sure what it is on Fuller. Right. The, the positives, the couple tackles, one coming downhill on a screen, does a good job with the fit. Awesome job on the third and one that preceded the fourth and one that they went for, making a play out in the flat. But then you look at it, and it's like he missed a couple tackles in this ball game. He missed a tackle on Deontay Johnson on the hitch that ends up going for a touchdown. Um, wasn't consistent with that. I think from a, a little bit more depth on a receiver, he has poor transition out of his back pedal. One of the ones, one of the plays, a great example is the third and 12, where they have the slow delayed blitz. It's third and 12, and you're a late transition out of your, your back pedal on a comeback. Like, play sticks, understand sticks. It's He's so scared of Deontay Johnson when he's off. I actually noted, I think he's better when he plays tight in the hip of some of these receivers. I think he's got the ability to turn and run and play in the hip of receivers versus play off. That's where he's been beat with double moves. That's where he's been beat, like maybe trying to play with too much eyes to the quarterback. He got beat on a touchdown to Deontay Johnson. That was actually pretty good coverage. It was the first touchdown to Deontay Johnson was exceptional with the route and the ball. You know, he looks inside like he's going to get that fade ball four yards into the end zone. He really sells it with two steps, eyes up inside. And then as he comes out of the break, the ball's already thrown. That's a tough cover. Hmm. Really is a tough cover. Uh, And then he had a DPI on Claypool on a third down. Yeah. And two in the third quarter that really didn't help him at all. Kendall Fuller was a D. Moreland. It's funny because I said Moreland tackled really well a couple plays in this game, but then I think he had a missed tackle as well in this game. I also think there was a total bullshit, uh, you know, illegal hands um, call on him. Yeah, and I just I, – that's such a ticky-tack call. There might be a tiny grab, but th- those are never called. That was a third and ten that really shouldn't have been called. I think that was really good coverage. Yeah. If you were just watching the game on film and didn't see the outcome of the play, at, at least the penalty, you would say that's really good in the hip man-to-man coverage. So, you know, that's – I think that's a really ticky-tack call. You know, the couple times they asked him to play the field as a kind of a two-invert player, so he's playing the deep half. Uh, one of them is a deep – Claypool catch the jump catch that DeShazer got beat across his face a little bit. Right. It's not good by DeShazer. We'll get to that. But I mean, he's playing the deep half on the other side of the field. There's nothing vertical threatening him. And Claypool is seven yards over the top in the middle of the field. Like you've got to sense that other side of the field. It's tough. But when you don't have a vertical threat on your side and something's coming into the middle of the field from the other side, he needed to have more depth on that play. Gave up a 14 yard completion to Deontay Johnson in the third quarter. Um, this was a really interesting one. They ran two slants. I said Bostic on this. This was the play I was talking about where he got caught up with some run action pass. I have literally no idea what Moreland is doing. It, it's it's a third quarter play where the, they go. It probably is RPO with two slants, and there is nobody to cover either of the two slants. Right. It was a. I think it was more of a what a WTF play. Um, Moreland was a C minus. Cameron Curl. Great drive. The positives. Good drive on uh, Ebron. The short angle play in the first drive of the game. They right. get a third down stop. That was big. Good fits and fills on goal line on that goal line stand. Made a great hit late in the game. The last play of the game to keep Ebron in bounds as a two player. Sure. 
um, was a big play. Some of the negatives picked on a crosser on the fourth drive, gives up a 13 yard reception on the shallow. It's poor eyes to start and he's late to chase that thing down the safety blitz. We talked about, uh, the, there's a third and five on the first touchdown drive. He's it's the throw to Ebron on a third and five on right. that first touchdown drive. They hit him on a corner route. Yeah. Right. He, Okay, this is a this is like I think I talked about this with you. I've talked about this with a couple other people and, and a couple coaches in the last two weeks. This is one of those plays. He's at the line of scrimmage. There's no wide receiver with depth or with width to his side. The tightest player is the tight end to his side. He barely puts a hand on Ebron. Barely puts a hand on him, and then he buzzes hard to the flat to nobody. You're like, dude, think if you're the safety on that side who ends up being fuller, dropping to inside because he's got to be aware of something coming from the other side and then having to turn and play as a, a deep two player to the tight end side. Is it going to be easier for that guy if you jam the hell out of the tight end at the line of scrimmage because you really don't have any other threat to the flat, so just jam him to death, and then that delays that route? Or, or is it going to be easier if you just let him free run and get – a ton of depth to the corner and make it hard. I mean, if you think of yourself as a safety in that situation, you, the safety would say, just jam the hell out of him right there. You got nothing else to worry about. And, and after he barely puts a hand on him, he buzzes hard flat with no depth. There's nobody else coming out to that side. Just match Ebron as a two player. You, you are the flat defender, but the, once there's nobody in the flat, just match him with depth, take the throw away. Ben gets it over the top of his head and he gets his hand up to try to, help break it up, but he doesn't. And Ebron gets it. That's the first touchdown drive. That was just, that's just having some awareness as a young player playing right. tight at the line of scrimmage as a flat player. Just be better in that situation. Camera curl missed one tackle in this game, but really did a pretty good job as a tackler. And you see that with the physicality with curl curl. I think he was in on eight tackles. I mean, and to me, I think he had seven solo tackles. I think both game. safeties they have right now love to hit. And I love they that. do. Cameron Curl is an aggressive physical player and, and does love to hit. He was a B in this ballgame. Everett. And that leaves me with just the Shazer Everett left yeah. in this game. Yep. So DeShazer, he is he's a physical dude, man. Oh my God. I've used your um I you said something when he first played, and I said, why hasn't he been out there more? And you said, he's the kind of player that gets overlooked in practice because what he does well, they don't practice. What he does well is tackle and hit, and you don't tackle and hit in practice. And it's just amazing to me. It makes so much sense, and at the same time, it, it's like, well, don't coaches know? Like, he's had enough on film during his, his career here to see that he loves to hit. And by the way, remember, he's also a guy that's made some big plays, like big interceptions at times over the years. Um, so I just don't know why it's coming so late with him. Maybe it took really good coaches to recognize it. Maybe it just took the opportunity. I think it's the coaches. He's had the opportunity before. He hasn't had enough of an opportunity as a starter. There's barely been a time where he played more than 10 plays in a game. No, 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 no. He started some games back in, you know... Uh, a couple, maybe. He had that big interception against the Eagles in that game that he played a lot in um, years ago. A anyway, you might be right. But he's getting the opportunity, and I would bet that he's getting the opportunity because guys like Rivera and Del Rio and position coaches who are here now recognize what he does well. 
Yeah, I think they do recognize what he does well. They also recognize that they had the need because Landon Collins was out. Yeah, so. and, and they did, and they and they did have you know Apke in there before. Yeah, and we did not see him take a snap this week. No snaps this week. No. The positives. Um, I, one, I just wrote this, and I see this with the Shazer, and this is probably coaching as much as it is playing, but he's doing it. He's actually playing with good eyes. The pre-snap, he knows where he's looking. He knows what he's looking for. He has good keys. He's coming up to fit run when he has to fit run, which isn't often in this game, but he's getting his initial drop in depth. He's he's in the right place. You know, two, two, three seconds into every play, I think he's in the right place, which is critical for a secondary player. It's critical for a safety player. Uh, he broke up a couple of balls. One, the Ebron play in the end zone, he does a really good job closing that and getting that ball knocked out. Another one later in the game, it's Claypool down the middle where he comes over the top and has a really nice pass breakup as a two-player. And that's a big play. Um, attack on a screen on a third and three, the one that he helps Chase Young with, that's that's a huge play. Big come up and make a play. Huge hit. You got to goal line stand really started on a first down play where Snell got some yards and DeShazer comes up and makes a huge play hit to keep him out of the end zone if right. the Shazer doesn't come up immediately yeah. and make that hit that's a touchdown yep. that's all the Shazer it got a little bit it got out a little bit more than they would like to but the Shazer did a heck of a job coming up and fitting that play which was absolutely huge um one I would say be careful as a two player with eyes on a couple plays there's a third and 15 that you can pull up on the second drive it's the second drive of the game it's a third and 15. It, they actually have a screenplay, which Holcomb does a really good job of, of seeing and snipping out. And Chase Young does a really good job of seeing and sniffing out. And then Ben goes back to the other side of the field. He doesn't get any offensive linemen downfield. And he, he makes a throw to the seam. But if you look outside, DeShazer has completely omitted that there's one more player outside, one receiver outside. It's a sixer. Oh. It's a sixer if he if he throws it. He's wide open. Is that is that Smith Schuster? I mean, it was the the guy to cover that Darby was covering. The, well, it's a cover two look. So DeShazer's really sh- should be splitting the difference between the two. Understood. It's, yeah. It. I mean, it's a broken down screenplay that Ben survives, and I think he survives and just makes a throw. Be careful with that one, though. You watch that one and tell me that's not a touchdown if Ben throws that thing because it is. Um. Missed tackle on the touchdown, we all, all understood. He took a poor angle on the touchdown to Deontay Johnson, the one-play touchdown, the one-play drive touchdown. The one where Fuller misses the tackle. The one where Fuller misses the first tackle. The Shazer misses the tackle on that play, too. Yep. Uh, and the end of the half, he's cross-faced as a two-player by Claypool. Uh, Claypool, the jumping leg up in the air catch. The Shazer just can't flip his hips and turn to run inside. It's a good initial landmark, but he gets beat as Claypool starts to track inside, and he really shouldn't. You know, he almost gets in it to make it up, but poor transition there in that situation. Um, too much depth late in the game. There's a third and 14. I talked about Thomas Davis coming up to run towards the back on the third and 14. DeShazer is a cover two player. They did play, played a lot of cover two in this game. He's a two player, and there's nobody going to threaten him deep. And so he's got to drive on that thing a little bit faster. It's it's a dig by Deontay Johnston. Johnson. I want to put that T in there every time for yeah, whatever I reason. I, I don't know why either. It's just my stupid Wyoming accent. 
But I thought DeShazer actually played pretty well in this game. To me, DeShazer was a B in this game. The safeties, you got some good stuff off. The other thing I like with what they're doing is they're really changing and manipulating some of the cover two coverage where they're inverting the corners and they're letting DeShazer play from a single high look or one safety in the middle of the field. The, the, the short middle, which is the Tampa player, he does a really good job with that. I think he's getting better to me kev he's getting a better sense of space and and some of that awareness the spatial awareness he's doing a better job with so between him and kpl and some of the looks they're manipulating coverages with they're making it a little bit harder on quarterbacks i don't think they did i don't think they were shy to blitz because of anything in the secondary or being afraid of their guys not being able to cover per se. It's that the ball was going to come out too quickly. I just think they knew the ball was going to be out so yeah. quick and that if they got picked or they got crossed up at all, that Ben was going to find the open receiver immediately. To it's, me, it was, a, it was a really good defensive game. It was a very good defensive game plan by Del Rio, again, who's doing a really good job. We can question a couple of the calls. But for the most part, I think he's putting his guys in good situations. I think they're well coached in the situations. I think their pattern matching is much better. And you're talking about guys doing it from different spots all over the field and figuring out you know, exactly where number one is to number two. And then ultimately, they're a defense that, right now that's playing with speed and physicality. A couple missed tackles here and there, but for the most part, speed and physicality is really becoming paramount for this defense with the defensive line that if you take more than two seconds is going to get home. I think it's going to be really interesting Sunday because it's it'll be a completely different defensive game plan. They, they may have to play many more players in the box, um, you know, bringing, you know, curl down into the box more often, and they're going to have to really be aware of just how much bootleg Mullins is going to run off the the zone run stuff. This is what they really struggled with against Sean in that first game. And even though it's not Garoppolo and there's no Kittle on the field, they ran the football against Buffalo and they've been running the football. They've got their backs back and healthy. You know, Mostert's back and Wilson's back um, here recently. And you know, the thing about Mullins is he's just, you know, he's just okay. And if you get him into, it looks like if you get him into third and have to drop back, you can really cause problems. But, you know, Samuel and Jordan Reed and Bourne and Ayuk, I mean, in the fullback, um, Jusek, Jusek. They're, they're, they're going to have, they're going to, I can just see, you know, here comes the whole flow to the left. Oh, nope. Here comes Mullins coming back on, as Kylan might call it, the keeper. But I like to refer to it as the bootleg. And there's old Kyle Juszczyk, wide open, 44 for a 15-yard gain. Um, I don't I know how you can be play. It's so hard to run the keeper game against this team because of how good Chase Young and Montez Sweat are on the edge in the keeper game. Well, we better have some backers. That Thomas Davis shouldn't be in this game. Need, <laughs> need some backers that can run in this game. Yeah, you need backers that can run, but you just don't let them get to the edge, especially with the quarterback getting to the edge. And I think he should be in good shape. You know, keep... I'll be really interested in the way Kyle schemes this up this week. I really will. I, I, I mentioned to you yesterday, I think I mentioned this to you yesterday, that if you just look at our games recently, we played three games in a row against teams that were not interested in trying to run the football. Even Burrow in the first half threw the ball 29 times. You go back to the Detroit game and the Giant game before that. The last two teams that decided that they could run against this team actually did. 
You know, DeAndre Swift had some big runs. Gallman had some big runs. And, the, you know, the Giants rushed for 166 yards against us at FedEx Field, nearly five yards a carry. Detroit uh, Swift, I think, went 16 for 85 or something like that. And we've had three opponents in a row that had zero interest in trying to run the football. This team lives off of running the football and running it creatively. And then, obviously, all of the run play action off of it. Um, and then, you're, you know, this, this is going to be a different – Totally different deal. Uh, 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 we Washington's got a three-game win streak, and their defense has played three pretty good games in a row, even though Burrow completed a lot of balls. And now we're back to that giant and lion. It's different, but we're going to have a team that's going to actually try to run. I'm going to be very interested to see how good the run defense is Sunday against the best rushing team we'll play the rest of the year, although the Panthers can run the ball a little bit. Panthers can do a lot of things. Yeah, I'm. I'm interested in this game. How is San Francisco a three-point favorite? Well, it opened at four, four and a half. It's down to three. There, once again, lots of sharp money, lots of shark money on Washington, <laughs> plus the uh, plus the number. That number's been coming down. There's a lot lots of belief. Pu- lots of public money on Washington. Uh, as well. Public money's on on the 49ers a little bit, pu- pu- oh. based on what I had seen or was told. Um, covers.com. It says the public. I know. I told you, covers right isn't now, but... always accurate. Um, I uh, I'll, I just all I'll I get care about is where the shark money is. I actually I actually like our chances again. I I don't know why I, I sort of like our chances the rest of the way. So we'll, we'll see. But the 49ers are a, this may be the matchup of the four remaining games that could be the toughest because they're the one that they're the team that's so balanced and can really get you off balance. Even a good defense. I mean, look at what Kyle's done over the years against good defensive teams. And Washington's a good defensive team. I, you know, San Francisco, uh, Seattle's all about basically two players. And, you know, making sure Russell Wilson doesn't, you know, slice and dice you up with extending plays and, and finding, you know, Metcalf. Um, Carolina's going to be interesting because they actually, you know, you know how much I like Mike Davis. And he's having a decent year. Um, for them after they went out and signed him. Um, you, Philly Philly should be easy. We'll see. Def- I'm talking about defensively. Uh, it, they'll be more difficult offensively to move the, fo- the football against. And by the way, Carolina could have McCaffrey back when they play him. They had him back two weeks ago. Yeah, and then he missed, right? And then he missed. Yeah. So they could, they could have him back at that point. They had him for that Kansas City game. That's more than two weeks ago now, and they nearly beat Kansas City, and he was unbelievable in that game. I don't remember what his yeah, number. Yeah, he's unbelievable. Were. Anytime he's on the field, yeah. it's crazy as how much how many plays he took in that first. Yeah, that first game back that he had. I just saw this interest this interesting thing, and it was Synthony Freeland's mathematical model that projects the chances of teams making the playoffs. Who is this, and what is this? It's on the NFL.com. Okay. I mean, but Bill Barnwell. Her mathematical model has Washington with a 41% chance of making the playoffs and the Giants with only a 40% chance of making the playoffs. Uh, Bill Barnwell writes, you know, the, the epic pieces on all this stuff, and he had something on the whole, you know, playoff thing too. And it's like uh, after, after about 20 minutes, you realize you're not even halfway through reading the story, and it's like, okay, I, I got to go do something else. I don't know. You know, I'll be honest with you. The Ringer and all of the long, long form writing, I don't get that. I mean, and I'm of the generation that should 
be okay with that. I don't need something really quick and easily digestible. But it's too long. Barnwell writes, I mean, right, he writes really well. It's just so long. I don't get it. It's not for me. Not every day, anyway. I need to, I, I need to have more time. And if I have that much time, I'm not going to sit there and read that. Bottom line, by the way, Cooley, I've said this to you a million times over the years, all these, you know, oh, the win probability at that moment or, you know, these projections on – it's like um, the guy that just returned to Boomer's show in New York, Craig Carton, who was in jail for the ticket uh, selling scheme. He was Boomer Siason's longtime morning partner on WFAN, and he just came back. I forget if I mentioned this to Tommy or on the podcast or, or, or not, but I, I, I watched an interview with him, and he was a big gambler. He was basically going to Atlantic City on a helicopter, betting hundreds of thousands of dollars a night, and then the helicopter would drop him off literally right in time for a show at 6 a.m., uh, morning drive on FAN with Boomer. And nobody in his life knew that he had this major gambling problem, and nobody in his life you know, knew what he was going through. And then he got involved in trying to pay off gambling debts with this ticket-selling uh, fraud scheme. Anyway, went to jail. He got out of jail. He's back on FAN with Boomer Esiason, or in the afternoons. I forget where he is now. Anyway, I was watching this interview, and he just said something that I've said to you so many times and to others. It's like these people, that whether they're writing for websites or whether they're charging you for picks or whatever, people, don't fall for that bullshit. You know just as much as any of these other people know. You really do. And when I talk about sharps or sharks, as one of our people uh, said that I, I, I keep talking about the sharks, the sharps, there are a handful of people, a half dozen maybe, okay, in the world that Vegas truly fears. That's it. That's the list. How do I know this? Because I know a lot of the people that are on that other side. I know, and I've known those people for my whole life, all right, without going into detail. And so are there sharps? Are there a few people in the world that have made money gambling and sports betting? Yes. Do you think those people will tell you or try to sell you their picks? No, the people that are selling you the picks are the people that can't win betting and are trying to make money off of selling you their picks to try to tell you, hey, you suck at this, but I'm so much better. No, trust me, you are just as smart as they are. And all of these people that write on ESPN.com or or CBSSports.com, any of them with all of their, they don't know any more than you do. Trust me, one of the only things that's ever worked, and it's what I do on this show, is just try to figure out who the house has and be on their side. And you might have a chance of breaking even. Um, although I'm not breaking even this year. Uh, anyway, that's... You got some more games. Yeah, plenty of games. Uh, you need but, to have a good oh, week. Oh, by that's the way, it. you just reminded me. Georgia Tech tonight, plus seven, uh, boys and girls. Early smell test pick. We're done for the day. This show's got to get out. It's late for a lot of reasons. We had some technical issues. Um, on Cooley's end and on my end, and now we're done. Back tomorrow to preview Washington, San Francisco in the NFL weekend. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. 
Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com. 